This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. So, folks, it's just a, a promo here to let you know that uh, I'm on uh, SoundClouds and iTunes with these podcasts. I'd like to uh, disseminate these to more people. So if you pass the word on uh, SoundClouds and iTunes and subscribe, I'd appreciate it very much. And thank you very much, and uh, thanks for listening. Hey folks, this is your friend Dennis Connor coming to you with another podcast. And now what should we talk about today? Well, I thought with the America's Cup in uh, Bermuda, that would be appropriate for me to uh, bring you up to date on a uh, little bit of how we got there and uh, my involvement. So I'm going to just call this the, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, the Dennis Connor era of the uh, America's Cup, which... uh, for some of you that have followed this for a while, no, really started in uh, 1973 with uh, Dennis Connor and Mariner, Ted Turner, Ted Hood, Jack Sutphin, Lowell North, John Marshall, Tom Whitten, all involved. And fortunately th- for me, things worked out pretty well because I went from uh, being the backup helmsman with Ted Turner on Mariner and Valiant into the uh, starting skipper role aboard Courageous and went on to uh, beat Intrepid in the trials and prevail against the Australians in the America's Cup. So I launched my America's Cup career, and I was over the top, uh, just completely ecstatic. I was, up till then, I was just another local San Diego guy that won the Congressional Cup a few times and the Star World Championships, but uh, the international stage was a long way away. But uh, winning the America's Cup on Courageous in 74 propelled me into the big-time sailboat arena. I went on to uh, win an Olympic medal at the next Cup. Ted Turner went on to defend the Cup in Courageous, beating uh, Ted uh, Hood in Independence to become the the defender. He did a good job. And the Cup was retained in the trophy room in the, the New York Yacht Club. 1980 rolls around and Dennis shows up, but with a little different program, a two-boat program, thanks really to uh, Fritz and Lucy Jewett, who believed in me and uh, put up the money and had the credibility as a board member of the New York Yacht Club to uh, persuade them that a two-boat challenge would be uh, in their best interest. They didn't like it because they wanted to have control of all the boats in the event, and they didn't like uh, basically Dennis having uh, two boats and the other guys having one. But uh, they they really had no choice. They had to let us in, and we went on to a very extremely successful uh, campaign. Thanks again to the wherewithal of the Jewetts and Dennis Connor and his team working pretty darn hard to secure the uh, victory in uh, 1980 with freedom. And on that stage, of course, now showed up uh, – Tom Wooden, a key part of the America's Cup and sailing scene uh, forever. So that was uh, 1980. Uh, Freedom wins. Dennis is uh, 
on top of the world. The crew loves it. But uh, as we all know in life, it's not what happened in 1980 that counted. What can you do for me now? 1983. So we had a lot of momentum, and uh, with again, with the help of the Jewets and uh, additional sponsorship now from the New York Yacht Club that believed in us, we built uh, a new boat, Liberty. We raced it against uh, Enterprise and Freedom to get her up to speed. We uh, really couldn't make much of a progress o- over the, the, our previous boats. It wasn't really that much faster. But uh, we beat the other challengers. Uh, uh, the other challengers to be the defender that would have been Turner and uh, Russell Long, Tom Blackholler, Paul Kayard. We beat them to become the official defender. And in the meantime, Alan Bond shows up with the help of Warren Jones with a uh, new uh, radical boat and just decimates all the uh, challengers, all the other challengers. There were nine of them including the British and the French. But they had uh, wings on the bottom of the keel, which no one even knew what wings were in those days. What did they do? What were they for? How are they helping? We, we found out that they had wings on the bottom of the keel from the get-go, but we, didn't, we weren't smart enough to figure out what they were for. We put wings on the bottom of Enterprise, and she didn't speed up. So it was a lot more than just having wings on the bottom of the keel. It was the entire package, a small boat, a lot of sail area, the genius of uh, the design team, good sailors, but it was uh, really the wings that made the difference. Very controversial and to this day, I, I don't believe legal. We could talk about that later. But the bottom line was they had a very good boat. We went on to uh, race in the America's Cup against the, them and – Bottom line is that they beat us by 29 seconds in the best of seven series, the last race. We were ahead. They passed us on the last run, covered us to the end, and the America's Cup was uh, the unthinkable was done. The uh, Australians have won the America's Cup after 129 years, the the longest winning streak in sports history. They talk the Stanley Cup's been around a while. Well, this has been around 30 years longer. This was a huge, huge deal in the sailing world and a big deal to the New York Yacht Club. The cup had been sitting in there since the inception of the club. Had its, even had its own trophy room, the America's Cup uh, trophy room. And it's often said that if anybody ever lost, if uh, the skipper of the losing boat for, on the behalf of the New York Yacht Club uh, lost, their head would replace the uh, trophy in the trophy room. And there were a lot of people at the New York Yacht Club I thought this should have been the case. I was probably lucky to get out of the Northeast alive. So now the Australians have won the cup. What now? Well, Alan Bond, and uh, with the help of his trusted lieutenant and the smartest guy there was at the time, knowing the America's Cup was Warren Jones, a local attorney from Perth, they decided, well, we'll, we live in Perth and uh, our bank is in Perth, and we own the Super 9 television station in Perth. Why don't we just take this thing to Perth, Western Australia? And that was their right. As the uh, winner of the America's Cup, that's the big thing. You get to control the venue. So Warren and Alan decide, well, the Cup's going to be off in Fremantle, Western Australia, and we'll see what happens. Well, I was, of course, devastated uh, after losing the Cup. I... I 
that came home and uh, put my head under a pillow in October and just I was ready to jump off the Coronado Bridge. I had no money. I, I had no job. I had just lost the America's Cup. My world had come to the end. But as uh, the challengers uh, started to pour in to challenge for the America's Cup in Perth, I could see this event was going to be a big deal. And I could either uh, stay home and feel sorry for myself about losing and be a loser, or I could see what I could do about pulling my pants up one leg at a time and trying to uh, see what I could do to win the cup back. Well, don't forget, this wasn't going to happen on behalf of the New York Yacht Club. They, they couldn't stand me. I just lost the cup for them after 129 years. But I was the Commodore of the San Diego Yacht Club, and I got the permission of the Board of Directors, of which I was the Commodore, to uh, challenge for the cup. So we mounted a challenge from the San Diego Yacht Club to try to do what we could about uh, winning the cup back. Well, a lot easier said than done. Believe me. The first key was I had no money. And San Diego uh, certainly wasn't going to be coming in, uh, out with a lot of money to support me. As a matter of fact, just uh, FYI, the whole San Diego community, the whole San Diego community, including the sailing community, I had a total of $139,000 of support, $139,000. So there was no financial support, and most of that money came from one or two individuals. individuals. So there was no money in uh, San Diego to help win the cup back where it showed me the money. Now, more than ever in the cup, the money was the important thing. Where was I going to get that money? Well, I went to see my friend in mentor Malin Burnham, I said, you have any ideas where I could uh, raise this money? He said, well, let's go see Mike Dingman. He's the chairman of Allied Signal, knows a lot of people. He likes sailing, and I know him. Let's make an appointment. So Malin got us an appointment to see Mike Dingman, and that was our real turning point because Mike believed my story that I could win this back with his help and the help of the corporate world. So Mike uh, uh, stepped up and help me raise the money. He got the first step was to get an appointment with uh, Edson Ford at Ford, and I went there and I told my story to the Ford and the uh, people there. Got the help of their tank test, and Ford stepped up with a million bucks as well, and, and that was really what got us off and going. It went from there to again. Dingman helped, introduced me to Bob Crandall at American Airlines, a big sailor from the Marblehead area. He bought into the story. He helped me. And uh, with his help, I got uh, Roger Enrico at Pepsi. And uh, and we were off. And, and all of a sudden now we had enough money to uh, start putting a team together. People, even though it was an amateur sport at that time, still people had to feed their family. And they, they could not afford to do a full-time effort without some financial support. So now we had some money. What was the next thing we needed? Well, you can have all the money in the world, but you can't win without a good boat. So the money, 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 money looked like it could be had. How about the boat? Well, I saw where the uh, Australians beat me with the creative design and not just the old line thinking. 
they had, had a lot of creative things with a bending mast and the wings, blah, blah. So uh, Ben Lexon uh, was creative, and, and he had a very strong sailing and design team as well. Uh, uh, Snackenberg from North came up with some, a new fa- uh, fancy material and a way to build it. Uh, so they had a, a good sail program, and they were, they were uh, going to be very tough. So I knew I had to uh, uh, get a fast boat to have a chance to win this cup back after losing it in 1980. So in 83, excuse me. So the first thing we did was um, we got more than one designer involved. Had a very talented design team, Britt Chance and Bruce, Bruce Nelson and Dave Pedrick. But it was a lot more than that. We had Clay Oliver from SEIC involved. And a lot of technological help from the from Boeing and tank tests and so on. So this design team of approximately thirty people uh, worked on coming up w- w- with a design. Well, easy easy to say this, but when you have thirty Picassos all trying to paint uh, uh, the same picture, believe me, uh, there was a big difference of opinion. Some people thought, oh, well, the wings should have priority. No, the keel shape. No, the hull shape. How long should the boat be? What about the mass and sails? How much should it weigh? Should it be a long boat with less sail area or a short boat with more sail area? On and on and on. So all these questions had to be answered, and, and uh, the right conclusion uh, came up to be that a long boat, a long, a long, long boat for the heavy winds expected in Perth without much sail area would be the package needed to win this cup. Well, that was all well and good, except that for one small thing, there were 21 challengers as well as ours. So the Buddy Mogus was there. We had Tom Backhaller. We had uh, all the best sailors, John Coleus, and uh, 18 other countries challenging to see who was going to be the official challenger to race against Alan Bond and the, uh, his defense team in Perth. The big challenge was, the biggest short-term challenge was how do you qualify in a light air qualifying series with a big boat with no sail area? So we managed to sail well, well enough to get into the Challenger's semifinal round of four, uh, with four boats. And uh, now, by now, it was January in Perth. It's starting to heat up in the deserts in the backcountry of Perth. The famous uh, southerly... Uh, southwest winds were starting to come in, and the winds went from being 12 knots to 15 knots to 18 knots. And by the middle of January, lo and behold, as it has been for centuries, the uh, southerly wind filled in, and all of a sudden we started having 20, 22, 23, 25 knots on a regular basis. And our boat came into its own. We went out and uh, raced. Uh, we beat the Black Hauler, and we, we beat uh, Melgus. We beat Coleus, and now it came down to the semi to the final round of the Challenger Series against the Kiwis. Remember New Zealand Kiwis, and Chris Dixon, a very talented guy, very good sailor. They went through the Challengers rounds, thirty-seven wins, one loss. This is what we were up against in the finals of the uh, Challenger Series to see who got to race Alan Bond for the Cup. Well, the wind was up. We sailed well. Our crew did a great job. We blew out a gym on a very windy day. 
got another jib up at uh, epic fashion. It'll go down in America's Cup lore. And we went on to uh, win the Challenger Series to become the official challenger, four to one against the the Kiwis. But uh, they did, they, things didn't go down too well. And there's, I, you know, I was a little outspoken and brash uh, 35 years ago. And I got in a little trouble at the press conference because uh, the subject of the carbon of the uh, Kiwi boat being fiberglass came up. And there were 85 boats built previously, none of which were fiberglass. So someone in the audience, the media, said, well, Dennis, why would the uh, – why would the Kiwis have a fiberglass boat? And I said, well, it's very simple. Why would you build a fiberglass boat unless you wanted to cheat? And then uh, they black collar, he roasted me. Oh, I wouldn't have said that, blah, blah. And everyone got a big laugh. And that's gone down also in the media history. With Dennis basically calling the Kiwis cheaters. And by the way, I did find carbon in the boat later. So uh, that's that's that. And we'll move on with the story. So we got to race against the uh, Australian defender, Ian Murray was actually the skipper of the boat. Uh, but, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't actually steering uh, the boat. It was steered by Peter, by, uh, Gilmore from, uh, from Perth. But we went on to win the cup for zip. We, we, everybody was ecstatic, just, uh, over the moon. Got that famous, uh, Phone call from the uh, from the Donald, uh, who uh, said it was the biggest mistake I ever made, not backing you because uh, having the cup in Atlantic City, sailing for, with uh, a boat called uh, Trump Card, would have been great. But I'm going to make it up for you. I'm going to have a ticker tape parade up Fifth Avenue. So well, that sounds good. So when we got back, we, after the breakfast and the dinner at the White House and the lunch with the President, President Reagan and all the wonderful attaboys, we had a parade, hard to believe, Donald came through, but he did, with a parade up Fifth Avenue, started down by Macy's and went up and finished in front of the Trump Plaza. I've been told it was a wonderful parade, but the fact is I'm not really sure because Tom and I and the rest of the crew, we were like five blocks back, and the, the head of the parade was the Donald and Mayor Koch with a cup between them, bringing the cup back to America. So everyone... Here's the here's the Donald bringing uh, the cup back, and everybody was was thrilled to have it. So that was uh, the end, really, of the uh, twelve meter Dennis Connor uh, part of, of the America's Cup. Because when we got the uh, uh, cup back to America, uh, we had a challenge from the Kiwis, uh, unorthodox challenge with a 135-foot boat, 90 feet on the waterline, allowed by the rules, with 50 in the crew. And uh, while the Commodore of the San Diego Yacht Club and the Commodore to be of the San Diego Yacht Club and and, uh, the mayor were out uh, on the chicken salad circuit patting themselves uh, on the back about how they won the cup, the Kiwis were coming up with this new radical, huge, big boat, they call it. It's you can still see the big boat on the hard in Auckland if you go when you go down to the America's Cup village there. So it was a real monster, and it scared the heck out of all of us. And when they so they came and they challenged uh, the yacht club 
which they were allowed to do, forced the Senio Yacht to defend the cup in uh, six months, practically impossible to raise the money and build a boat. That's a whole other story, but we did. But we didn't raise the uh, – they had an unconventional boat, so we had an unconventional boat. We had a uh, wing catamaran, the kind of forerunners of the boats that are racing in the America's Cup now. And everybody knows that a good cat can beat a big dog any time, and that's what happened. We won the Cup two races to zero, and the Cup uh, stayed here in San Diego. But the media didn't like it, us uh, racing a boat that was five knots faster. It was really a joke. Uh, and the sailing world didn't like it. Of course, the Kiwis didn't like it. And e- even the crew, we, di- we didn't like it either. And it wasn't really a fair sailing contest. As long as we didn't break down or do anything stupid, the cup would stay here. So what happened next is they came up with a new America's Cup class boat that stayed around for 15 years. And they were good boats, uh, 85 feet long, with a big sail area, and 15 in the crew, and interesting to watch. And that became the new America's Cup class boat. So uh, we successfully defended the cup here in San Diego uh, with the new class of boat in uh, 1992. And in 1995, uh, there was a uh, spirited defense uh, series between my, ourselves and the New York Yacht Club and Bill Koch to see who would be the actual defender. After a few shenanigans and uh, some exciting races against the first all-woman crew, I might add, J.J. Uh, Eisler from San Diego was the skipper, we uh, managed to prevail, and again, we were the defender of the Cup. Well, that's the good news and the bad news. The good news is we got to defend the Cup, we never shouldn't have had to race for that anyway. We just won the cup. How come we weren't able to defend it automatically like what would happen now? But that's another story as well. So we did, we're now defending the cup. And guess who wins the uh, Challenger Series? Those pesky little New Zealanders. They showed up again with a new boat, a new program, and this time with uh, Russell Coots steering the boat. And they had an awesome, awesome, awesome program. Two-boat program, good sails. Russell was just coming into his own, having done one Olympic medal, and a very, very talented engineer. They had their act together, and we really had no chance. We didn't have a lot of money. We weren't thinking outside the box. Their boat was a lot narrower than ours, and just playing faster, I don't think we won any of the legs. And uh, New Zealand went on to uh, take the cup in flying colors. So now... Dennis has now lost the cup twice. It's only been lost three times in the history of the cup, and I've lost it twice. So I wasn't too happy about all this. So now, in winning the cup, New Zealand now can control the venue. So they take the cup off to Auckland, New Zealand, and it turns out to be what a wonderful, wonderful venue. The New Zealand people, they love their sailing. They just love it to death. The whole city got behind it. We went to the supermarket, even though we were their enemy. It, it just couldn't have been nicer. Everyone's so genuine happy to have us there. They built an America's Cup village, second to none. Six or seven challengers showed up to race. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful event. 
1979 and 80. Well, again, Russell Kuth, remember him? The guy that won it? He had a great team, great boat. He had all the plans from the boat that won last time. And he had his act together in his home port and uh, went on to defeat all the other challengers again. So now Russell's won it twice in a row. And uh, our, our, our program was com- competitive, but not that great. We broke our mass, and we had a sinking, and we had enough money. There's a lot. I'll tell you a million excuses. Bottom line was we just weren't good enough. And uh, even though he had uh, a great crew, including Paul Caird and, and, and Tom Wooden and so on. But uh, so now, 1980, the Kiwis have won again. So what the next stage of what happens is that there is a uh, Italian-born Swiss citizen in the pharmaceutical business by the name of Bertarelli. He's been watching all this going on and with with great interest. He loved sailing, had a far forty, and being smart and rich, powerful, thinking outside the box. He said, "Well, this cup doesn't look that hard to uh, win to me. It looks to me like all you need is." Uh, Russell Coots and a couple of his guys. He already has all the plans of the last two winning boats. He he knows how to win. He's an engineer, and he has uh, two great uh, trimmers and a wonderful friend in Bill Butterworth that he grew up with and, and his closest friend. Love to play golf together and still do. So why don't we? Uh, why don't I just hire Russell Coots and his uh, guys and get the plans and everything that comes with it? So he does. So Bertarelli hires Russell. And Russell becomes Swiss. So here's a New Zealander all his life, and now he's Swiss. Where does that leave New Zealand, the, the uh, defender of the cup? Well, that leaves uh, New Zealand defending the cup with the B team because Russell take the A team to Switzerland. So again, to make a long story short, could write a book about this. Russell builds a very, very fast boat. Certainly had the foundations from the last two cups to work with. He has Billy Butterworth and a great uh, uh, friend and, and, and his trimmers. And they come back to New Zealand this time as a challenger. Well, they made short work of all the other challengers, myself included, including Larry Ellison the New York Yacht Club, all the others that showed up there trying to be the challenger. But it wasn't really a contest. Russell uh, was clear favorite, knew what he was doing. He knew Auckland, had a good crew, the best boat, best sails. only thing he didn't really have is he didn't have the New Zealanders rooting for him this time because he's trying to take the cup off of him. But it didn't really matter much because he won the Challenger Series quite easily. And now it's Russell Coots with his new Swiss boat, a Lingi, against the Kiwis, uh, defending the cup with the B team. Russell had raced against them 90 times leading up to that in practice, and they only beat him twice. So what do you think their self-image must have been as far as beating Russell? Not good. They made some mistakes right away. They almost sank the first race. They broke their mast, and the cup went to the Swiss right away. Four straight races. It was never really a contest. 
And now Russell's uh, won again, and the cup is off to Switzerland. Well, that's well, all well and good, except that where are you going to race in Switzerland? The deed of gift says you have to race on the arm of the sea, but somehow they got out of that because Lake Geneva is hardly an arm of the sea. So the next step was where are we going to have the cup if you're Switzerland? Can't have it in, in Switzerland. Where should we have it? Well, the powers to be, basically Bertarelli and Russell, said, well, we'll send out a uh, request for a proposal to see who, who wants to have the cup. After all, the last two events, one of them brought $800 million, $800 million to the area. That's a lot of gross national product. So 17 countries bid on having the event. They narrowed it down to four, that being uh, one in Italy, one in uh, France, and one in Spain, and one in Portugal. And now this, the rest of the story really is uh, conjecture because I don't have an inside track but uh, other than my common sense on what happens, and I can't say for sure this is what transpired, but what could have transpired in this next story is after the uh, Alinghi folks uh, defend the cup successfully and they're ready to go for the next defense, they um, – Want to, they have to decide where to have the cup, as I said, with an RFP. Well, Russell is convinced that uh, Kashkai was the place to sail the boat, the cup. Old Spanish port, nice wind in the Atlantic. It would be a challenging event with Atlantic waves. It's always rough there. And so Russell, I think, made some financial commitments of his own money, as you might well guess a smart guy could do when you know where the event might be going. Well, what really happened is that while Russell was over in Portugal, Bertarelli made a deal with the King of Spain to take the event to, to Spain and really upset Russell, as you can imagine. So Russell quits. Russell quits. And uh, Bertarelli has no choice but to appoint Bill Butterworth as the new skipper of the boat. They had a series in uh, Spain, where they successfully defended. In the meantime, Russell's sitting on the sidelines. The next step is, as uh, Bertarelli was smart, Larry Ellison is smart. Having three uh, efforts unsuccessful, he decides, well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. I'm the third richest guy in the world. Uh, I'll just hire Russell. And he does. So now Russell is gone from being... Kiwi to being Swiss to being American. And Russell brings all his wherewithal, his, all his knowledge, he's an engineer, to uh, the fore to help Larry challenge for the America's Cup. So they do challenge uh, Bill Butterworth, uh, and they challenge with the uh, catamaran, and Bill Butterworth defending with the trimaran. Well, the catamaran from San Francisco was uh, considerably faster. Uh, the San Francisco guys, Russell, sailed better than the Swiss guys, Bill Butterworth. And kind of a BS series, very short, not eventful, unexciting, not much on TV. But the cup um, now 
is one by uh, Larry Ellison and his Oracle uh, Challengers. And as we know, remember what this is all about. It's not about the just glory of winning a sporting event. It's about the money. Show me the money. So the money is in uh, what is in, deemed to be in the best interest of Larry Ellison and Oracle is to have the cup back in San Francisco, Oracle's home base. They're uh, 50 miles away. Larry has a house on Broadway right next to the Jewett's above the St. Francis Yacht Club. And San Francisco, as we all know, a wonderful venue for regattas, strong winds, strong chop, uh, five miles of uh, ocean, of bayfront property where you can watch the race. A perfect venue. But what about the boats? Well, when you control the cup, including the venue, you also control the rules, and you can dictate what kind of boats to use. So, again, this is a conjecture. I don't know this for sure, but I think what happened is that Larry wanted to leave his mark on the cup, not just as the winner, but far more. He wanted to change the cup and how it was all seen and uh, perceived by the world. After all, now he's the uh, defender of the America's Cup. So he came up with the idea of using uh, basically a 60-foot catamaran to race in the America's Cup. Well, this is all uh, new technology and a whole new frontier. So there were very few challengers that stepped up to, to race. One of them was the, was the Swedes with Paul Kayard in charge. But the best effort was, again, the darn Kiwis. So the, the Kiwis with the uh, fly Emirates on their sail, the uh, Team New Zealand sponsored by the New Zealand government, along with Emirates Air, had enough money to uh, build a boat. They had similar conditions down in Auckland Harbor. They could have wind and chop like San Francisco or smooth water, anything they wanted. So they practiced in San Francisco, and they came up with a, a very creative idea on how to make these boats fly with the foils. They showed up in the uh, America's Cup, dominant. They won the uh, Challengers round. They came to the Cup, hard to believe, but they had a 7-to-1 seven uh, ed, uh, boat edge going into the last races and everybody was uh, ready to kiss the cup goodbye and the Kiwis were going to win again, except for one factor. And that one factor was Russell Coots. Russell wasn't done. And uh, he, he had no quit in him. So somehow, and I, I don't know the rest of the story, but I think what happened is that Russell saw the handwriting on the wall after the first race when the Kiwis just blasted away from the Oracle boat, that this cup was gone, that the Kiwis were going to win. And he figured out that this went, the, that it was in the foils, that the uh, boat that could get up on its foils, stay on them longer with the uh, least amount of drag, was substantially faster. The Kiwis could even, unheard of, they could tack the boat without even the boat splashing down in the water. But much faster tacking. That was a big advantage. You could lose 100 yards just in one tack. So Russell decided, we better get some foils that are decent ourselves. I believe that, um, and again, conjecture, that he, he these foils, the new foils were designed by uh, an engineer at Boeing. 
Someone at Boeing came up with a new shape foil. You don't just uh, slap these foils together. You have to be they have to be built in exactly the right fashion and to the exactly right design. So it took a week after they got this design done for them to build the foils, get them um, attached to the to the boards themselves. And guess what? Oracle's a different boat. James Spittle learned how to sail. Can you believe it? After all these years, and they came back from this huge deficit, down seven, eight to one, and they won every race with some good luck. They had one uh, race where the time limit ran out when or when uh, New Zealand was ahead, and another when it was too windy, and the races were called off. They were both behind in both of those. Otherwise, the cup would have been gone. But uh, Oracle prevails and successfully defends the cup. And everybody goes crazy. I mean, this amazing, amazing, amazing comeback win for Oracle and Russell and the, and uh, Larry Allison. So now what? Well, Larry uh, didn't feel like San Francisco treated him properly for whatever reasons, either financially, socially, etc. He didn't get into the uh, St. Francis Yacht Club. He had to buy a yacht club of his own to race with. A lot of politics that he didn't like. And he had ha- had enough of San Francisco. So he asked Russell to find another place to race. I'm sure he was involved in the decision. So Russell, as some of you know, in San Diego, Russell uh, came down to San Diego and he talked to Troy Sears and some of the uh, wannabes at the San Diego Yacht Club about having the cup in San Diego. And they put together a decent proposal, but they didn't have the money to to offer Russell. And I think Russell had a deal this time with, uh, with Larry that he's going to be a big profit-sharing partner in the results, the financial results of the 35th Cup, the one we're racing now. And without uh, money to go with what could have been a nice venue in San Diego Bay, and, of course, uh, San Diego folks loving it. But without any money to speak of to pay for the event and for the potential profit in bringing the venue here, he, I think, uh, quickly dismissed San Diego as a possibility. Well, where else? Well, Russell's down playing golf at a uh, tournament in Bermuda, at the uh, famous ocean course in Bermuda, and he's playing golf with the head of, uh, of a large insurance company, which you all can figure out later if you want to. And while they're playing golf, Russell brings up the subject, well, why shouldn't we have the cup here in Bermuda? One thing turns to another. The Bermuda had a fair amount of wherewithal with the large reinsurance companies, with Ace and uh, Renry and two or three others, and the backing of the local government. They put a package together where they guaranteed Russell, and again, I don't know for sure, something in the neighborhood between 65 and $75 million to bring the cup to New Zealand and allow him to be in charge of everything from the marketing to the event itself, the TV, and the type of boats. Well, Russell takes this deal, and the cup then is the new home of the cup is going to be Hamilton Bermuda. What about the boats? Well, the boats scared a lot of people because they, they were a handful. So Russell decides, well, we'll make a smaller boat that, uh, in theory, will cost less, less crew, and uh, 
with the advent of foils now uh, being so dominant, the uh, the hole itself probably really doesn't matter. So he gets uh, uh, Melody and uh, uh, to design a new hall. It's Eric Bernzines, the the uh, designer uh, uh, that works works for them. Melvin and Morelli designs a hull, and all the boats are the same, going to be all the same, because it really doesn't matter if they're not ever touching the water. So all the uh, Challengers, Defender, all the Challengers, and and the Defender all have the same hull. You can put a little different bow section on if you want to change the windage, the first 10 feet, but all the rest of the hulls are all the same. And came out of the same mold down in Auckland. Uh, so th- that would have probably reduced the costs of the boats a bit. But the, fo- the money that went into controlling the foils is uh, where the money really was going to be spent. So now with the, with the setting of, uh, they pick the year, June 2017 for the Cup. They come up with a format that basically... Uh, Russell makes them sign if they want to race. He hires Ian Murray back to be his uh, race director where he can control all the races. He does the, uh, I guess, an event marketing company in Bermuda where he's in charge of, and they plan the uh, 2017 America's Cup. So that's how we got from uh, that Dennis Conner era of, uh, 12 meter racing those dinosaurs that you saw from 1971 when I first got involved until uh, 19, uh, uh, 2000, 1999, 2003 cup where I basically had had enough. And uh, now we're into the, the new America's Cup era featuring Larry Ellison and Russell Coots. So we're going to cover that in uh, another podcast. A bit later, I'll be bringing you the results of uh, the f- first round of the qualifier series and tell you how all that's going and, and what's going on and how it's all working in uh, Bermuda. So hope you enjoyed that uh, step back into history and uh, how we got from being an undefeated America's Cup club at the New York Cat Club to losing the cup twice wasn't that hard, believe me, but uh, history uh, seems to have liked it. So bye for now. It's Dennis Connor coming to you from the Specialty Produce Network. So bye from now from Dennis Connor, and we'll talk to you again soon. 